Hi ho ho, it's me, Angelo de Augustine, back at it again with a new episode of the Boy Time Podcast. And as always, I'm joined by Babby and Paul. Baby back rib. That's right. It's been a long two weeks of no Boy Time content. What are we going to do? Rice, where have we been? I don't know. I don't know. That's a great Forgot question. I had a YouTube channel. I know. I was having fun enjoying life. I was actually enjoying my life. <laughs> uh, no, no. I have missed the uh, the podcast and uh, our videos, of course. Our videos will be starting up again. Um, I guess those, those will start next week because uh, we have not recorded that one yet. Podcast records first. But so I forgot what we're listening to next. But uh, Neutral Milk Hotel. Oh, yeah, Neutral Milk Hotel. That's right. That's my pick. Um, so, yeah, we'll be listening to that on for next week. So that's pretty cool, I think. Um, but, yeah, but for now, we do have a podcast. Uh, and what a podcast it's going to be. Um, I, you know, I, I watched a lot of things on my, my days off. A lot of movies. Um, I have nine, wait, is that true? Nine. Uh, eight, eight, actually. I watched eight feature length films and I watched all of the last season of Succession, which we may or may not save for next week. See how much time we have. Um, I feel like we're going to have a lot to say about it. And I also just finished it today. So, um, I do have a lot of opinions on it. Um, all of them are, well, not all. Well, yeah, it's good. I do like the show a lot. Um, and, yeah, while I was gone, the Emmys were announced, the nominations, and Succession was leading by a country mile. I feel like it got, if I remember right, it got 18 nominations. And then, like, the next runner-up was, like, 11. They were so, all Greg, too. They were all Greg, <laughs> Um, which, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of funny. I, I, well, no, I'm not going to spoil the end of succession because there's probably losers like me out there that had not seen the new season. <laughs> losers like me who hasn't finished watching it like two months ago and I've kind of forgot things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a little slow down. Should have. I still haven't seen the, the new season of the bear. I think that's going to be my next thing. I haven't even started it yet. It's so good. The first season. We want to start it. We just haven't pulled the trigger yet. (laughs) The first season is legitimately one of one, maybe one of my favorite seasons of of television. Um, Not even like prestige television. I would just say in general, it is so so good. I don't know why it's considered a comedy. It's a tragedy. Yeah, I was wondering about that. (laughs) Um, I guess it's a comedy in the traditional Greek sense of the word. And that everything is either a comedy or a tragedy. Um, so, yeah, I guess Succession is a tragedy d- yeah. from a certain point of view. Uh, and uh, The Bear is a comedy from a certain point of view. But it's really a drama about, you know, a small upstart. Well, not a small upstart, but it's a family business. And a super prestigious chef comes in and tries to fix it up. Um, it's very good. 
I, I think I watched half of the first episode and I'm like, this is very good. And then I think I had to do something. I don't remember what it was, but I had to do something. And so then I stopped Lord. watching it and then I'm like, Oh, I'll just watch it on the trip. But then, um, Hulu doesn't let you download things. So of course couldn't do that. Why would um, you get benefits with your streaming service? <laughs> that's a great question. Um, but you know, Max does. So one of one of the very few perks of, of having Max. Yes. That, that and might not work, but you can download things if you can get it to work. That's right. And you know, they did just recently add the nineteen thirty three smash hit King Kong, so maybe there ah, is yes. something for everyone. <laughs> um Yeah, so uh yeah, so I watched all of Succession and a bunch of films on I think almost all of them were on Max. There was one Netflix one that I watched, which I'm not going to have much to say about, to the dismay of probably a lot of people, especially considering that we talk a lot about animation. Uh, I guess we'll start with that one. Although, I guess we usually go to news. We'll do news first. We'll do news first, because there isn't a whole lot. But the one little bit of show news I did want to quickly address before jumping into the movie part is that a new Adventure Time spinoff show was announced. Uh, Fiona and Cake. So it's going to be a series. um, It seems to be very different than the Fiona and Cake episodes in Adventure Time. Um, I guess for those who don't know or maybe who have not seen those episodes, the Fiona and Cake episodes of Adventure Time were a fan fiction written by the Ice King that was a gender swap uh, like version of all of the characters in the Adventure Time universe. Kind of a little meta thing that uh, like I'm sure that was like a thing that was happening during the time that like everybody was making like gender swapped fan stuff and uh, so then the creators kind of was like, oh, well, uh, maybe we should do that. It would be funny. Um, and then they did. And There for- is like a lore connection to it that's like weird, I think. So I think that's why this series looks like the way it does. And it's not just like the traditional Fiona and Cake episodes we got. Yeah, because it, it looks like, like, well, it looks like more close to like how real life looks. Yeah, I think uh, it has something to do with like, Ice King's like pa- parts of his old past life coming in, so it's like actually a th- like characters that exist, but he like put them in weird positions. I don't know. It was weird. Mm. There's some weird like <laughs> thing for it. Well, and if you look at the poster, which is very interesting, there is Ice King in it, and there's also mm-hmm. Simon, and yes. there's Old Finn from uh, uh-huh. the. Um, Distant worlds, distant lands, yeah, whatever, yeah. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, so I don't know how much of it is going to be like meta, you know, kind of adventure time. We're kind of back in the adventure time universe, but also I think at the end of Adventure Time, doesn't Ice King become Simon? Am I, I remembering so. that right? I don't know. We're rewatching it right now. So. Okay. Well, fill me in because I have not rewatched yeah. it since we watched it. Yeah. Uh, which has been a minute. Um, so, uh, yeah, I will be watching that. Uh, of course, it is coming out next month. It is August 31st so. on Max. So, it's pretty cool. Uh, also, a little side thing 
uh, Patrick McHale, creator of Over the Garden Wall. I don't know how involved he is in it, but I know that he did write some music for it. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty pretty cool. The music, I think it'll be good either way. So <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's not like I'm worried about it, but I think no, it's yeah. just cool to get that connection because. And I guess for those who don't know, and this is maybe the this is the biggest trade off in history, because. Um, Fiona and Cake is being added on August 31st, but Over the Garden Wall is being removed what? on August 31st. Yes, right before fall. That's stupid. <laughs> it's the dumbest timing. <laughs> and the craziest thing was, because I, I follow Patrick McHale on, on um, Twitter. I don't, uh, I don't know. I follow him on Twitter now. Uh, I don't know what to call it. Uh, oh, Twitter. How, how, do I, how do I be politically correct in this climate? Um, I follow him on Twitter and he found out from a headline. It's like one of those like classic uh, things yeah. where like the, the Batgirl awesome. creators found out that their show was being canceled by like a variety article or whatever. Um, so yeah, he was just like, what? And then like Elijah Wood was chiming in and being like, Hey, well, I mean, it's still on Hulu for now. <laughs> so I need to get a box set or something. Cause yeah. it's not, these days it's not fall without it yeah i have to see it and media can just disappear without it being on anything anymore so that's fun yeah i mean uh close enough it's gone yep just obliterated yeah great show i don't know where it went is there even dvds of close enough i don't know (laughs) it might just be gone it is vanish yeah, just three. I don't seasons. even think G, G, uh, Quintel would like have stuff because they don't own the property of a studio, right? So I don't think he even would have a copy of it. No. Uh, yeah, I don't. I have no idea. So, so I guess you can you can buy it on like the Prime Video or whatever mm. for like a buck fifty an episode. Um. I don't know. I need to get, I need to get like more into physical media. I'm, I'm already in it, but I need to get more in it. Cause I don't Now's trust the time anything. To do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, really it's, it, and I, it's funny because like, I remember growing up, my dad was always like that. And this was like when Netflix was just becoming a thing and he was like, well, you need to have DVDs and he saves all of his like CDs and VHSs and stuff. And, uh, I'm like, no, oh, that's stupid. Why would I do that? It's just going to be on Netflix anyways. I'll just watch it whenever I want to. How foolish I was. How foolish I was. I should have been buying the Fateful Findings DVD years ago. <laughs> now where can you get it? That one is on Amazon, by the on way. On its website. Well, yes, on his website. You have to go to the specific website to order it, though. Of course. You should make neilbreen.com. He should. He's big enough. He's got name recognition. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you have seen his next movie is getting like, I don't want to say a wide release, but as wide a release that a Neil Breen movie can get. Mm, Um, Yeah. Like a bunch of indie theaters, like all over the country are playing it. Um, our, Our friend Grant who lives out in Seattle he was telling me that like his his friend that he works with was like legitimately talking about going to see it because it was in like an indie theater that they go to, 
And like, mm. they're just like, oh, it's this new thing. I've heard some stuff about it. I don't know anything about this guy, Neil Breen. And then Grant had like <laughs> Vietnam flashbacks. Like, like Neil oh, Breen? No. <laughs> so, yeah, it is It is a sequel to Twisted Pair. Uh, it's called Cade the Tortured Crossing. He's really it, bad at naming things. Isn't Twisted Pair the one that we said we we're going to eventually watch in a boy night, but we never did? Yes. Well, I forgot <laughs> to bring it. Uh, back one time Um, I do have it I do have it in my place currently Um, it does not really fit (laughs) on like my shelf that I have my bad movies on because it is just in a little jewel case um, (laughs) from like you know the 2000s so you would get like a blank like CD-ROM in um, because nothing but quality by Neil Breen. That does probably mean that it was hand put in there by Neil Breen, and that's pretty special. True. <laughs> so, yeah, th- so there's that. Um, but, yeah, we have, we have a lot to talk about. That's uh, And he keeps posting um, things on his, on his Twitter about, uh, like, oh, these new locations were just added. Go see my new film. It won an award at a at a a, a Los Angeles film festival. So, but I can't tell if it's real. But I think it is. It's like a real indie film festival in Los Angeles. It won like best sci-fi feature. So, I'm trying to get a read here. Are people actually liking it, or are they liking it because he's Neil Breen? I don't know. But I guess on the second one, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's all been downhill from uh, from Fateful Findings, in my opinion. That's that's clearly his magnum opus. Um, but you know, that's okay. What was the one he made? Pass through. That one was weird and boring. They're all weird. Yeah, but Fateful Findings had that ending, and then they oh, yeah, make sure. up for everything. Fateful Findings <laughs> is a is a movie I would watch again if I had to. If you were if, if you, you were forced to, to. <laughs> if I had to. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But let's talk about some good movies? Question mark. Good. Uh I I watched a lot of movies. They ranged from uh I would say uh masterpiece to uh dumb and I hated it. So, I don't know. I guess we're just going to go in chronological order. Because, um, yeah, I don't know. From when I watched it, the first movie I saw on my trip was After Sun, which I believe is an A twenty four movie that came out last year. Uh, and this one got a lot of buzz, um, especially around the uh, performance. I think his name is Paul Mescal, um, and the movie is. It kind of reminded me of the Florida Project, um, but it's about. Um, I think she's like 13 or, or around there, 13, 14. Uh, and her dad, they're on their like last vacation, but like, they don't know that. I think like it's implied that like he dies shortly after this trip and it's like drug or alcohol related. Um, and he may or may not be gay. A lot of this is just implied. Um, I mean, cause he, I mean, he and his, I guess, ex-wife are not together. I guess the mom, they are not together. And he's big in, like, partying and, like, rave culture. Um, 
So it it is just implied that, you know, he may OD or something. But yeah, it is it is just like kind of a lengthy character story about this trip and what happens on it and their kind of relationship changing over the the couple days that they have. Um and then there's like one shot of her older and she's like I don't know. She's queer somehow. She has a female partner. Um, and then she's like thinking, she's watching the footage of the vacation. Cause she's constantly like recording with a camcorder and then she's watching that. And that's kind of the meta thing. Um, but meta. honestly it wasn't really for me. I thought it was fine, but kind of long drawn out character pieces, uh, with not a lot of plot, uh, not really for me. I like I like a little more structure than that. Um, but yeah, I thought it was fine. Uh, so there you go. That's that's After Sun. Uh, it's kind of sad. I was excited for that one, but it was just fine. Uh, the next movie I watch is In Bruges. Uh, great movie. Uh, not as good as I remembered it being, but still pretty good. Um, in Bruges is a, it's kind of a black comedy, which you don't see very much anymore, um, which is a shame because I, I really do dig a black comedy. Um, but the, the premise is there's these two um, British hitmen uh, that have to, I guess, hide out in Bruges. I think it's in Belgium, which is this like medieval town. It's, I think it's like the, they say in the movie that it's the like best preserved medieval town in Europe. I don't know if that's true. That's just what they say in the movie. Um, but yeah, it's like it got old churches and old houses and stuff. It, you know, it looks like a medieval town and they're hiding out there after a job goes terribly wrong. Um, our nar. Our nar. Uh, but it is, it is the uh, it's kind of the prequel to the Banshees of Anishirin movie that came out last year. Same director, same stars. It's uh, Colin Farrell and uh, what's his name? Is it Brendan Gleeson? One of the Gleesons. Um, Gleeson. One of those Gleeson boys. <laughs> I think they're Irish. Which well, I guess all of them are Irish. Colin Farrell's Irish too. Um, but I don't. Uh, yeah, I guess they're playing Irish. Whatever. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a fun thing because Colin Farrell does not want to be there and he's getting like existential dread because like the job that went wrong was his first job and it was (laughs) to kill a pastor. (laughs) (laughs) And so he like shoots him in the confession booth. Uh, and then like one more time as he's running away and as he's like that last shot, uh, like the pastor falls over and like there was like a little kid who was praying, like a little boy, like six or seven. And like, like it's just like a close up of like the bullet hole through the boy's forehead, which is pretty gnarly. <laughs> for, I mean, I guess just a movie in general, but like pretty gnarly. it's, you know, ha ha comedy in a he he ha ha comedy. It's it's a it's kind of a shocking image, which uh, is supposed to be. 
Um, so he's kind of like wrestling with the guilt of having killed a child while also just hating the town. He thinks it's so corny and lame. Uh, and meanwhile, Brendan Gleeson's just like having a good time. He loves everything. He's, he's like super enthusiastic about just sightseeing (laughs) and being a tourist. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I mean, I would highly recommend it. Um, I think, I don't know. Like if it's uh, as good as I, when I first saw it, like I had never seen anything like it. And I was like, wow, that is, that is truly great. But now I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. Uh, I have seen better stuff. I've seen Snatch and Snatch is just, I love Snatch, (laughs) which uh, maybe sounds bad if you don't know that that is a movie. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Uh, so yeah, check out in Bruges. It's very good. Uh, so it's a good four star movie, I would say. So, especially if you're into that, uh, there's some good stuff. Uh, the next up, uh, was the only Netflix movie. It's a Netflix original movie. It's called Nimona. Uh, this one has been getting a lot of buzz, especially in the animation world. Um, it has a pretty high. I forgot that existed. <laughs> what? I forgot that movie existed. Oh. Oh, they said meant the animation world. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what I thought too. Animations exist. It's gone. That too, what? honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was getting a lot of attention. Um, I didn't really see a whole lot about it, but I just saw that people were talking about it. We're like. Oh, it's in best animated movies that came out this year or whatever. And on Letterboxd, it has a 4.0, which is pretty G-dang impressive. Um, I think the highest rated thing is Spider-Verse, which is at a 4.7 or across the Spider-Verse. Beyond across the second one? I don't know. (laughs) Over and under. Over and under the (laughs) Spider-Verse, which is at a 4.7. So a 4.0 is actually really, really good. Um, but man, I did not get it and I don't, I don't know why, um, the animation was cell shaded, which everybody already knows that I, um, I have mixed feelings about cell shaded graphics. Um, I had never seen a movie animated in cell shaded. I mean, I had seen, I've seen like clips of like, what's that anime, like Ruby, uh, I think yeah, that's, that's oh, cell yeah. shaded or some, it's like a 3d anime, but it kind of looks cell shaded. This kind of gives the same vibe, but just more of a budget. Um, not made by rooster teeth. Um, but yeah, it's, it's about like a, a, a knight, a scrapping young knight, uh, who like has conquered adversity uh, it is a world where only the high class elite are kind of bred and born to be knights. And he was a lower class street rat who kind of worked his way up. Um, but on his coronation day, like uh, as he's being like knighted by the queen, like the sword, like it, like does this gadget thing and like shoots the queen. And he's like basically framed for killing the queen. Um, and so I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So it's a, it's a, it's a class thing. You don't see that very much in a, uh, animated movie, especially not that explicit. 
Um, a lot of times class is used uh, as a backdrop or something, but you don't want to be too... And uh, incorrectly. And incorrectly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, like this one, it was very clear what the allegory was. I'm like, okay, I got it. Um, and then, uh, but I think what really took me out of it was the title character, Nimona, um, who I found insufferable and annoying. Um, she is like, re- she's like wannabe rebellious. Uh, I think like she was giving me the vibes that like spider punk was giving you in, uh, like, uh, across the spider verse, um, where I'm like, Oh my God, this is just so cringy. Um, written by someone who just like has a caricature of a person in their mind. And yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it was just like, oh, I, I, I can't take this anymore. It is like so obnoxious. Um, and then they would just like uh, like shoehorn in these like emotional moments where like, oh, I'm actually like rebellious because I'm a, I'm a monster and like everybody views me as a monster and there's nothing that I can do to change it. It's like, okay, I get it. This is like a race thing maybe. Or, or a class thing. This could all just be class or whatever. I don't know. But it's just like, you can't just have this character be horrible and annoying and then just be like, actually, I have a heart too. It's like, uh, just buzz off. I hate all that. Um, <laughs> you need to have me like the character so that I care about their struggles um, because it just felt really hollow. Um but I think, I don't know if this is why it is getting a bunch of buzz, but one thing that is actually, I respect a lot about the movie is that the main character is openly gay throughout the entire thing. There is no cutting out the gay scenes. It is integral to the plot where like his boyfriend is more or less kind of the quasi antagonist. He's kind of the leader of the knights. Um, so like he's leading the charge to try to find him which is an interesting thing. Um, and it, you know, could have been about a man or a woman. It wasn't like, uh, you know, it wasn't like a stereotypical gay relationship. It was just a relationship. Um, and they just so happened to be two men. Um, and I'm like, okay, that's cool. I get that Netflix can do that. And they have a lot of like gay uh, centered programming like that Heartstopper show. I, I saw they're getting a second season of that. I think that's, I mean, I think that show everybody's gay from what I hear, but let's go. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that's good. I like that. You know, uh, I get, I get that Netflix is not one of the big animation studios, but it is cool that, you know, a movie that, you know, is at least, trying to be inclusive is uh getting I feel like a bunch all of attention. animation is like inherently gay but like well, they true. haven't been able to make movies out of it <laughs> <laughs> yes uh or or you know you or can't include it you can't include gay characters or have you know long gay scene not like gay scenes but like you know long scenes that feature a gay couple in them or some sort of queer couple in them uh, without, you know, getting 
blocked in other countries yeah, that it, are too it depends profitable. Of like you have yeah international markets and yeah all that stuff. So yes, there there are like small indie uh, animation studios that are you know making stuff that you know they don't care. Mm-hmm. If it's going to get censored because, well, it isn't going to get an international release anyway. Um, or it's like, you know, some French movie. Uh, so they're like, eh, whatever, you know, we don't we don't care if anyone likes our movies anyways. We're just going to make movies, <laughs> um, which I guess is somewhat respectable, except when I have to watch them. Uh, that's just that's just a joke for me. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, I'm going to be in the minority here. I gave Nimona two stars. Um, oh my god! I know. Can't you. I know. Uh, oh, I don't know. Uh, he has not reviewed this movie on Letterbox, so I cannot tell you. Hmm. So, whoops. Uh, whoops. N- next up, I watched uh, Dumb and Dumber. Um, because why did you do that? <laughs> uh, well, I had to. It's on the poster. Oh, okay. And I was like, "Why is it on the poster?" That's a great question. <laughs> it is stupid, and it's I like hate it. One of the it. worst comedies, like of all time. I would agree. <laughs> um, uh, which is you know funny because immediately after that I watched Tommy Boy, which is mm. legitimately a great comedy. Um, but I'll talk to I'll talk about that later. Um. But yeah, Dumb and Dumber, I mean, it's in the title, so I, like, I don't even have to say that it is very <laughs> stupid. Um, but again, I feel like this kind of had the same problem for me that Nimona did, where th- there, there are these two characters that are super obnoxious and I don't like them, and all of the times they're off the screen are the parts that I liked. But unfortunately, they're the protagonists, so they're on the screen for most of the movie. And there's two of them. And there's two of them. <laughs> uh, and then there's, like, some heartstring moments or, like, they break up. And I'm like, I'm not sad. I don't care about any of this. Um, so, yeah, just all of the emotional beats worked. And I want to point out a plot hole that has bugged me so much since I watched this movie, which I realize is not high art but it did it has been bothering me uh and i've been thinking about it since i've seen the movie but for those who maybe who have seen it or it's you know whatever it's been a while or you've never seen it it's like a road trip movie they're trying to get to i forget what town it is it's like a it's a ski resort i think in northern california is it, is it fresno i don't know I don't sounds know. Sounds like I, Fresno. I don't know. I why. have no idea. I don't uh, know why Fresno sounds great. It just does. It does. It would be a town in California. I don't know if that's true, but they're going it's to the north, so it's kind of not on this. I think. Yeah, they're going to a ski resort in a northern California town, um, and it is a road trip movie um, where they are trying to deliver the briefcase to uh, a, a lady who left a briefcase in the airport when uh, Jim Carrey was a driver, like a taxi driver. But then he lost his job because he stormed the uh, like uh, jet Capitol. terminal thing. He stormed the Capitol uh, <laughs> to retrieve the briefcase in the airport. 
Nancy Pelosi's briefcase. Nancy Pelosi's briefcase. And since it was Nancy Pelosi's briefcase, it had $100,000 in cash in it. Um, nice, brief. nice. Yeah, very, very topical. Um, but it is also true. Uh, it has a bunch of money in it, and he's trying to deliver it. And the lady left it in the airport because it was ransom money for her husband, but he thinks that he just she just left her luggage there. Um, and so then she gets, he gets the briefcase and it's a big misunderstanding, but it's funny because then like the, the, like criminal, the banditos, that's, that's probably not the correct term, but whatever. Um, they are like trying to chase them and they don't understand what's happening. And like the, the, the criminals think that they're the, uh, like criminal masterminds. They're like playing all these 40 chess moves and they're actually just really dumb. Like the move, like the title says. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. But on their travels, they encounter a lady and Jeff Daniels starts like hitting on her a bit and it kind of works. And she's like, ooh, let me give you my number because we're both going to unknown Northern California town. <laughs> and he's like, cool. But he's doing this at a gas station. And suddenly he's holding like the gas hose and like it starts on fire and his pants are on fire. And he's, and he's like, ah, uh, I uh. need to get your number now so that I can put out the fire in my pants. But he doesn't say that. He's like, ah, it could be your number now. And she's like, no, not if you're going to be pushy about it. And then she like drives off. Um, and I don't even remember how that resolves itself. But it's revealed <laughs> in the end that she was an FBI agent the whole time that has been tracking these criminals and has been tracking the dumb and dumber crew through this whole time. And I'm like, well then why did you storm off if like you wanted to get information and like try to talk to these guys, why wouldn't you just like play along with his pushy thing? Even if he's being pushy, like you're, you're not there to actually talk to this guy. Like you're here to try to track these ransomers or whatever. Um, so yeah, that it just didn't make any sense to me. I'm sorry to say that Dumb and Dumber is not, does not have an infallible script. Um, so sorry, but yeah, that was probably my least favorite movie that I watched. Um, these that last couple of weeks. Yeah, I know it's very very sad. I know everybody loves Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. But you just wait. I'll, I'll review Dumb and Dumber 2, and then I'll oh. say that it's a masterpiece. There we go. That, that's better. You know it's good because it was made 20 years after the first one. And <laughs> you know what's even funnier than a, a, t- a 30-something-year-old acting like an idiot is a 50-something-year-old acting like an idiot. Right. Now that's, that's what good. I want to see. Uh, but speaking of uh, comedies, let's talk about Tommy Boy because Tommy Boy is a very good movie. Uh, I was expecting another Dumb and Dumber. It's a Chris Farley vehicle. Uh, Chris nice. Chris Farley is a gem. Uh, I of course known know him as the van down by the river guy. Uh, uh, Matt Foley is that character's name. Uh, which actually was a long-running series they did on SNL. Most people forget about that, but they really milked that bit dry. Um, in SNL fashion. In SNL fashion. You know, you got you, you do a funny bit once, then finally it's like... Oh, yo, they like something. No, <laughs> keep doing it. Um, 
So, but, you know, he, you know, did a movie. It is Chris Farley and David Spade. Kind of a buddy kind of, well, I guess it is a road trip movie, kind of. But, uh, you know, Chris Farley plays this guy named Tommy, whose dad owns like a car parts manufacturing business. Um, and Tommy graduates from college after seven years, um, which, so you know, fast. it's very fast. Um, but unlike the Dumb and Dumber thing, Tommy is actually very, very likable. Um, like he has a lot of charisma uh, and just the people in his life just love him, love him for being quirky. Um, it's not like Dumb and Dumber where everybody h- hates them all the time and I also hate them. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, it, it's like established from the very beginning that like he's kind of like uh, uh, an, uh, an oaf, if you will, a big kind of brute. Um, you know, he's a big guy. Uh, he likes drinking beer and going to parties, kind of a party guy. Um, and you know, like David Spade is like, Oh, you're so fat. You should kill yourself, idiot. Um, like, wow, David Spade, you're an asshole. Um, but then his dad's just like, yo, Tommy, let's party out. Let's do some karaoke. It's like, Oh yeah, I want to be friends with Tommy's dad. Unfortunately, I don't get my chance because he dies right in the beginning of the movie. Um, and the whole, the whole thing is is a um, uh, kind of coming of age, even though he's like in his late 20s. Um, it's kind of like a maturity thing where like he finds out in the will that he's inherited like half of the company and like the um, the dad like just married a lady. Uh, the day he died was actually his wedding to this lady. So she has the other half pretty much. And Chris Farley gives up his half of like the shares and, and the, the factory or whatever to like pay for the employees salaries while he goes and tries to sell parts so that everybody can stay employed. He's a real man's man, if you will. He's a, he's a fighter for the, what a man for the, uh, proletariat. It is all, it's, it's communist propaganda is what it is. Um, oh, I hate it now, man. Yeah, I know. Ew. Ew. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he's fighting for the working guy, all of these people. It's like a really small town and I think, like, Massachusetts. No, no, no. Unfortunately, it is set in Ohio. I do remember that now. Dang it. Uh, it's a very Why unfortunate. Is it Ohio? Um, but, you know. I'd have acted less later, letter grade now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, like, I guess the main antagonist is the lady that that the dad marries because it turns out that, that she was just with him for the money. She was going to try oh, to, like, I knew it. she was, like, you know, going to try to cut Tommy out of the will and then just, like, take the company and then sell it to Dan Aykroyd, uh, which, never you know, do that. I, I would never sell anything to Dan Aykroyd. Uh, he'd probably <laughs> turn it into a skull or something, say, <laughs> say aliens made it. Um but yeah, Dan Aykroyd plays like a big businessman based in Chicago, and he's like, "I want to buy that. I just want to buy the name. I don't even care about the quality." It's like, "Whoa, this guy's a bad business guy. He doesn't even care about quality. He doesn't care about the consumer like all these other business guys do." Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, 
Yeah, so it's like, well, we can't let Dan Aykroyd win, so we got to sell parts. Um, but yeah, it is, it's a very, very, very good movie. Chris Farley gives a great performance um, where there are those kind of comedic moments, but also you do kind of, you, you learn to love the guy. He's a sweetie. Um, and David Spade just becomes less of an asshole over time, but not, not really. But he's always kind of mean. I, I don't know why David Spade was just like the mean guy in this movie. Um, when everyone else is just so nice, maybe that's like the, the contrast. They're like, Oh, everyone loves Tommy. So we need one guy who's just always calling him fat. And like, well, that it just doesn't, <laughs> it just feels weird. Work. Uh, you don't need it, but you know, it was the nineties. So God dang nineties body shaming was in that year. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. 90s kid, I went through that. Yeah, I know, I know. It's very tough. Um, but yeah, that was Tommy Boy. I, I mean, I would highly recommend it. It's very good. Um, I don't remember if there was anything that stood out as being like out of touch or like you know didn't age very well. Besides, like all the, oh, you're fat, ha ha. That's uh-huh. like first of them. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 your fat was probably all the Coke bloat that Chris Farley was experiencing right before he died of a Coke overdose. So maybe not the, in best taste, um, <laughs> to make fun of a man's, uh, disability, but it is funny. Um, so that but it is, did make a good, comedy. <laughs> it did make a good comedy and it was very good. So, uh, yeah, I'd recommend Tommy boy. Um, it's not on Max anymore. I watched it the day before it was removed. So, sorry, I don't know. This is why you need to buy it on Blu-ray. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, then complete 180, I watched F for Fake, an Orson Welles joint. Oh, um, boy. Yeah. Uh, factually, the I've only seen one other Orson Welles joint, and it's the one that everybody knows. Um so, yeah, I was like, okay, a new Orson Welles, well, not new, um, but it was made in, like, I want to say, like, the 70s, maybe the 80s. So it's like, you know, big, bushy beard Orson Welles. He's about to sell me some wine. He's getting ready to voice his line, this Optimus Prime in the Transformers movie. <laughs> like, we're talking late career Orson Welles here. Um, and he's like decked to the nines. He looks like if Carmen Sandiego was a goth, he's got like a, a big wide brim black cat, like a black hat. And he has like a black cape on and he's just walking around these like European towns and he looks stylish as all hell. I want to look like him when I get, uh, when I turn 70 and, uh, I'm rich and famous. Um, it's just so cool. Um, but that's not even what the documentary is about. Oh yeah. It's a documentary. It's not a movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I probably should have mentioned that first. (laughs) Um, That just makes it better. Um, yeah. I mean, it is not a normal documentary as you can probably imagine. Um, it is a Orson Welles documentary, which means, well, I don't really know what it means, but it just just means, means. (laughs) it just means that it's done by Orson Welles. who is. Uh, maybe one of the best uh, artists of all time. Uh, 
So it is very weird and witty, and it is uh, maybe a little bit existential for a documentary. Uh, I guess on the surface, the documentary is about um, art forgery. Uh, in the 70s, there was... Uh, oh, frick, I'm, I'm forgetting this guy's name. They say it like a million times in the documentary. I need to, I need to look it up. Um, uh, this is very important. Oh, yeah, Elmir. Elmir. He's a famous art forger, or at least he was at the time. Um, he was known, I think his main forgeries were Matisse and... Oh, I don't remember. But suffice to say is that he forged like like a bunch of really famous paintings and like to the point where um like by then like they were nearly indistinguishable from like the real works um and it was kind of crazy because like Picasso saw like um a bunch of Elmire's works and like uh like only he was able to tell that like oh that one wasn't me like everyone like all the art experts and stuff like everybody was able to uh um you know point point him like i know that's a real picasso you can tell because and it's like no actually that was just some random french dude that lives in like a small little (laughs) coastal town um but yeah so it's about this guy and it's about um uh man there's like way too many names here um this other guy who wrote his who wrote a biography about Elmire and kind of uh this is all very complicated but i think he wrote the book fake which is kind of exposed Elmire and kind of brought him into the limelight as being like this is a famous art forger that you might well you probably have never heard of because you know uh, he, he's technically a criminal so he's not exactly going around saying I'm an art forger. Um, <laughs> so he wrote this biography about him. I think later, and I think after the documentary came out, he was imprisoned and then he killed himself because he didn't want oh. to l- live in jail. So I guess kind of a sad yes. story. You know, yeah, that's true. Um, but then the guy who wrote his biography turned around and like, I think, I think, because it is never explicitly said what he does, but I think what he does is he writes an autobiography, uh, or uh, he releases an autobiography by Hugh Hefner, and Hugh Hefner did not write it. This guy wrote it. So, like, this guy who just, like, exposed Elmire for being, like, a famous forger forged an entire biography by Hugh Hefner, and, like, Hugh Hefner was, like, suing him. So, like, all of this was going on as Orson Welles was doing this documentary on Elmir. So it was just kind of, like, you know, a big old coincidence. Um, but it is, it's very interesting, like, honestly, that was the stuff I didn't care about, really. Because um, it was all over the place and really kind of confusing, uh, trying to keep everybody straight, you know. Um, but like a lot of the conversation that he was having about art forgery and like what makes good art, good art and like what makes art art in the first place, like, 
like in the documentary, there was like footage of Elmir, like pretty much just like replicating other people's styles and then just like throwing it in the fire. I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm not going to get anything for it. But like, here's a Picasso, here's a Matisse, whatever. And then just like throwing it in the fire. And he's like, yep, that's like 10, 10 grand. I just threw in the fire. Like, because no one else would be able to differentiate like a real Matisse from the one that I just threw in the fire. Um, so then like that leaves Orson Welles to be like, okay, well I proclaim myself to be an artist. Like, am I a fraud? And then he goes into like the war of the worlds thing, which is maybe one of the craziest stories, like starting stories of any artist ever. Um, and I, I'm so excited. I get to talk about this cause I don't think I've had an, uh, an opportunity to on the podcast because it is maybe one of my favorite stories, um, about the early entertainment industry. Um, because it is like maybe the first thing that Orson Welles did that got him on the map because he started off in Ireland. He was a stage performer and then he eventually got a job in the States, um, doing his stage productions on radio, which was a fairly new thing at the time. Now, Orson Welles wanted to do a, uh, an adaptation of the book War of the Worlds, which is, you know, a alien invasion uh, book. But he wanted to do it a little bit different. He didn't want it to be like a play or anything. The way he did it, and it, it, it's cr- kind of crazy that the studio just let him do this, but the way he did it was he basically scripted a bunch of like news broadcasts to go out over regularly scheduled radio broadcasts that were basically just saying that aliens were invading. And it wasn't like overtly like a joke. It, like it would be like if you listen to those broadcasts, like they're pretty much they just sound like regular news broadcasts. So oh, yeah. like it confused a lot of people. Um and that's something he brings up in the movie um, where he's like, am I a fraud? Because this is literally how I started uh, by tricking a bunch of people into thinking that aliens were invading when, you know, it was just a play I was doing on the radio. Um, but, yeah, I think like someone in uh, California like came forward and like or like ran into a police station and like made these accusations that she was assaulted by, um, aliens and like a bunch of people like went into bunkers and whatever, like people were like freaking out for probably the whole day because Orson Welles was just doing this big goof on national broadcast. Um, and so he, he talks about that in the, in the documentary and like what fraud, what is, what is fake, um, which is very, very interesting. Um, so if you want to know more about Orson Welles um, and you don't just want to, like, read the Wikipedia page or whatever, um, there's a lot of insight on his early stuff and kind of... Uh, there's a little bit of Kane in there. Just a little bit. Like, just a kiss of Kane in this, like... I think it's only an hour 20. It's pretty short. Um... No, it's an hour 35, but still that that's relatively short in, uh, today's 
mainstream, uh, you know, everything is three hours these days. So an hour 30 is like nothing. Um, but yeah, there's a little bit of Kane. Um, and I don't remember if he talks about, um, he does briefly bring up the studio thing. Um, for those who don't know, Orson Welles had a long running beef with the studio system. Um, because he made his first movie and that was Citizen Kane and it was widely regarded to be one of the best movies of all time. Or I guess back then it would have just been one of the best movies because movies had only been around for like 20 years. Um, but you know, it was still like a landmark thing in production uh, and people still love it. And I, I do appreciate it. It's not, it's not one of my favorites ever, but it's pretty good. Um, but he followed that up. Um, and I need to, I need to pull up his IMDB because I don't know the name of it because, um, it, you know, not as, um, yeah, the Magnificent Ambersons is his second movie. Um, and the thing that was different about his second movie than his first is that his first movie, he was given final cut, which is pretty much unheard of. Um, even now, like directors or or the kind of main creatives do not usually get final cut of their movies. So, you know, the editors come in and then the directors are working with the editors through the whole process, but then it's shown to the studio heads. And if the studio heads want it changed, it's pretty much going to get changed. Um, They'll go around the director or whatever. They'll, they'll do whatever they need to, to get it changed so that it'll play the right market. Um, which is pretty G-dang devious. Um, And that is exactly what they did to the Magnificent Ambersons, to the point where they changed the entire ending of the movie. Um, So, and that cut, Orson Welles' cut of that movie is lost. Like, they they destroyed that footage. They destroyed that cut of the movie. So we will never, ever see the Orson Welles' cut of the Magnificent Ambersons and the handful of people that saw it said it was better than Kane. So he... That's good to hear. Unfortunate. Yeah. He had a long-running beef with the studio system (laughs) after that, where he's like, oh, this whole studio thing is bullshit. Like, what do these suits know? Which is true. Um, Still true. (laughs) It's still true. It's still true. And that happened in uh, 1942. So it has been true for 80 years. Um, Nothing has changed. Um, so yeah, kind of, kind of crazy, but he does briefly talk about like that. Um, I don't think he talks about it specifically, but it is one of the things if you, if you, you know, know anything about Orson Welles, you, you know, that like, and Kane is that it's like, that is Orson Welles thing. Like he made it from pre-production to post-production. He did the whole thing. Um, he even put that bird in there to wake you up, um, which is probably my favorite fact about that movie. Um, but yeah, so F for Fake, I thought was pretty G-dang interesting, but it was kind of confusing, especially in the beginning where I'm like, where is this going? But then it kind of was like, oh, okay, I understand. He's, he's making a, a point about art because like, I don't care about this specific art forger and I'm not into like, uh, like I don't want to say like physical 
media, but like paintings or, or like that kind of thing. I'm not super like into. So like the art market and the kind of like, you know, politics within that, I'm like, eh, I don't care. I don't, I don't care too much about that. Um, I don't know much about Hugh Hefner. So like, I don't understand really what's going on here. Um, that, that all happened way before my time. Um, so yeah, but you know, the Orson Welles stuff was interesting. So I would say that, that it's, it's worth the watch and it's on max and it's short and, uh, it'll definitely keep you, uh, engaged. There is like so many weird editing choices in it where it's just like constant, constant stuff is happening. Um, to the point where maybe it's a little confusing, but it is, it is good. So there you go. That's F for fake. I wanted to spend a little bit more time on that one just because, uh, it, it, you know, Orson Welles of it all. So there we go. Uh, I have, I have two more. I probably won't talk about them for very much just because I don't think there's a lot that hasn't already been said about them. Um, the, the second to last movie I watched was Two Sir with Love, um, a Sidney Poitier vehicle. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but, um, Sidney Poitier, I believe, uh, 60s, um, he was, well, I think the first black male to be nominated for, uh, an Oscar, because the first black person ever was Hattie Daniels, Hattie McDaniels, something for Gone with the Wind, where she played a house slave. So Sidney Poitier was, I guess, the first black person to be nominated for something that wasn't slavery related. Um, I don't remember if this movie was first or there was one that came before. I think he's been nominated and won twice, which is, you know, impressive in general. But it's also impressive that that happened in the 60s as a black guy. Um, so, yeah, To Sir With Love. Um, it's a movie that I, I liked a lot, but it, it, I don't say, I think it aged particularly well. Um, because the whole, the whole crux of it is that this guy, um, he's an engineer, but because, you know, he's a black guy, He's not getting any work as an engineer anywhere, like everywhere that he would be working. It would be like a construction site for manual labor. And he doesn't want to do that because he's smart and he has these degrees and he wants to work and he's in England. Um, first mistake. First mistake, Real. of course. <laughs> um, but he gets a job just to get by as a teacher in, is it the West End? Is that the bad part of London? It's all the bad part. <laughs> well, that's true. But the there's like the the kind of like I guess the slum part of of London where if I had to guess it's probably the southern because isn't that a thing where the southern part of a city is usually the worst? Or is that just the American thing because suburbs? I have no idea. I don't know. I, I remember hearing that somewhere for some reason. It's definitely an American thing. I don't know if it transfers over. Mm. Um let me see. I think it's oh, East End. Ah, the East Bird. That was close. Um, one direction off. One, oh, yeah, just the other one. 
Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a movie about this guy who like, you know, kind of turns these rascally kids into reformed, uh, kind of, uh, I don't want to say like, well, there's like gentlemen and ladies. He's like, I'm going to call you all miss or miss or mister. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of actually, um, but it's more like uh, like generalized. It's just it's the whole class. It's not for for kids. Um, your mic. Yeah, on accident. <laughs> Way to Come point on. it out for Rushmore. the whole crowd. It's been two weeks. I don't remember how to loud. do this. It was loud. Rusty. It was so loud. <laughs> My ear. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, oh, and I think it's like a thing that like all of the kids at this school were like expelled from other schools. So it's kind of like this is the rejects uh, school and it's basically their last class before they graduate. Um, And so um, he's going to, he kind of takes it upon himself to kind of, I'm going to turn these kids life around because I want to, I want to be a good teacher. And it's like, okay, that's kind of cool. Like a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that he teaches them is outdated, but it is kind of interesting um, because he does talk about like um, how his race has impacted him. And, you know, in I think the 67 um, in England, I don't know how it was. I, I, I don't know much about all that over there, um, but I just I thought that was uh, very interesting. Um, but there is an arc and I don't know how to feel about this. There is an arc where one of the female students falls in love with him and he doesn't, he rejects it. But over the course of the movie, they get closer and I'm like, why is this a thing? Stop. No, no stop. She is 17. Stop. No. Wait a year. Got the anime plot line. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Um, but you know, it is, it's a good movie. Um, I just, I just don't think it aged particularly well, but I did like it, but yeah. And he, you know, he gives a great performance. I I thought he was fantastic. So that, that almost goes without saying. So there you go. Watch it now. Um, and then the last movie I watched, I, I, you know, might have next to nothing to say is 12 Angry Men. It is uh, uh, maybe one of the best movies of all time. If oh. you've not seen it, um, I I mean, you're you're missing out. This is uh, uh, it, and it has been parodied and copied by so many things. Um, my girlfriend was watching Family Guy um, one one day. Maybe. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and uh I think I was doing the dishes and I could just like hear it and I'm like this sounds like a court thing. And I look over, I'm like, oh no, they're twelve angry men in it. Of course, family guy is like have they have they ever done something original or is it all just parody? No, I think it's all just like here's a Star Wars episode and then here's <laughs> Here, here's a random twelve angry men homage on a movie from the sixties. Um but yeah, I mean, for those who don't know, uh, as soon as I say this premise, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, this was used in this show or whatever. Um, but it's it's about, like, 
12 jurors that are meeting in the hottest day of the, of the summer. Um, they are, you know, they have to decide the verdict on a murder case. Um, and 11 people think that, you know, it's guilty, but they need a unanimous verdict because, um, the, the, I think it's first degree murder, which is premeditated murder. And in wherever state, whatever this movie, you know, happens in, uh, maybe, I don't know, (laughs) um, that the, the punishment for first degree murder is the death penalty. So basically these 12 dudes have to decide the fate of, it's like a 16 year old, um, kid and he is, uh, I don't, I don't know like what ethnicity he is, but he is some sort of, he looks like he might be like Middle Eastern or something. Um, so that comes into play. I mean, it's in the sixties. So there, there is like overt racism in a couple of the characters. So, um, you know, that does come into play, but there is one guy who doesn't believe it. And he's like, I, I don't feel comfortable making this decision. Um, like with the evidence given, like, I don't think that he did it or like, I don't know. There's just, there is a reasonable doubt. So I am not going to vote guilty. Um, I'm not going to kill this kid because of, uh, there's a chance that he did it. And maybe I'm letting someone go off scot-free, but at least I'm not killing a kid. Um, and everyone thinks he's stupid. And they're like, oh, what are you talking about? The, the case was open and shut. Um, and so then the whole movie, very much like Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window, it all takes place in one room. It's all just this jury deliberation table. And, you know, slowly over time, he starts winning more and more people over and, like, that's that's kind of the whole thing. So wrote to bait lorded himself into a decision that's crazy. Yeah, it's uh it's pretty cool. And there is like and, and maybe one of my favorite moments about of the whole movie is there is this older guy, uh, an older angry guy. I mean, they're all angry. Sure. Not really. I don't I don't know why it's called 12 angry men cuz there's only a couple angry men. Um but I guess Two angry men and ten reasonable men uh, is not as catchy a title. Um, but, yeah, one angry guy, he kind of just goes off on, like, a racist tirade where he's just like, we know how these people act. They're, it's it's in their blood. There's nothing they can do about it. Just, just you know, just all sorts of racist things. And just, like, one by one, every character just, like, gets up from their seat and just, like, kind of looks at the wall until this guy is just like yelling all of this racist shit to nobody and nobody's paying attention to him. Everyone's ignoring him. And then once he realizes that nobody cares and that nobody is listening to him, he just kind of like shuts down and like just stares out the window for like the rest of the movie. Um, which is, I don't know. I'm like, that's just, I don't know. It's cool. Uh, it's it's a good kind of representation that's like all these all these angry racist people and it kind of works mo- like i don't want to say it works more now than it did then but like it works like as like a good representation for like how 
you know, angry racist people just like scream at each other on Twitter. And it's like, you know, by, by engaging with them, you're kind of fueling their fire and getting them more agitated and stuff, uh, giving them that attention that they want. And like, you know, maybe just by turning around and staring at the wall, maybe they'd shut up with, you know, probably one it's just the meme where there's like a group of people and then one person says something stupid and then they do the giant thumbs up and just go back to oh yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah um but yeah Perfect. i don't know i i was like i have not seen this movie in a while uh you know i know a lot of people still think it's really great but you know is it yes it is legitimately it is uh it is maybe one of the best movies of all time. Um, I do I do have it on the Criterion Collection release. I probably will listen to one of the commentary tracks, rewatch it sometime soon because I'm uh, I need to do that more with the Criterion releases that I have. I think I'm going to rewatch Wally with the uh, director commentary on because I'm sure that's very very insightful. So. That's that's it. That's all the movies I watched. It was a lot. Nice. Didn't even watch Barbie. Not yet. We didn't. We were going to, uh, but I have been very, very tired. Uh, and my girlfriend has also been very, very tired, and I told her that I would wait to see it. So there's we'll that. We'll talk about it next week. We'll talk about it next week. I think we're going to go see it on Friday, hopefully, according to plan. We also planned on seeing it on Sunday and uh, yesterday and um, <laughs> didn't, didn't see it, but it's fine. It's fine. I don't, uh, it's, I don't, it's not one of those where I like, uh, I need to see it on opening weekend. Um, so it, you need to see it now. And I'm also not going to see Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. I, I, I just, I think I've decided. Like, I'm just, Opa Gangnam style. Opa, if it was called Opa Gangnam style and it was about the atomic bomb, I would, I would of course see it. But unfortunately, yeah. it's not. Um, How could they ruin it? Yeah. I think yeah. you'll enjoy it, Barbie. I, you know, that's what everyone who has seen it is telling. It was me. like it was as good as you could get for a movie that is just like blatantly a company like <laughs> we're gonna use every single one of our toys as an IP. Yes. It's going to be the thing where it's like you get a good director to like make a genuinely good movie and then all the rest of them are going to be garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't like is that Fast and Furious? I don't know if I'd even call the first one a good movie. No, it's more like Marvel where it's like they True. made like a really, you know, or like Iron Avengers Man where is it like great. blew up and then all of a sudden just like bam. Yeah. Because like, I mean, Mattel has literally said they're going to make it's like a multi-billion oh, yeah, dollar investment. Yeah. They're going to do it with all their toys. There's like so. 50 or so movies. That yeah. Have it's going to be yeah. awful. Oh yeah. No. So. And I don't Was think it worth it getting this like pretty good one um, for all of those. Probably not. No. Uh, but uh, it was enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there wasn't I, anything overtly wrong with it. <laughs> no, I, I don't think, uh, I mean, I'm not going in expecting that it's going to be the best movie no. ever. Uh, it's no. a Barbie movie. And it's not like some Greta Gerwig like feminist masterpiece. It's just like a very enjoyable movie um, okay. <laughs> with some light commentary that like most people should know already. Okay. But I mean, it, it, it's pretty good. No, yeah. it's not communist propaganda. <laughs> well, feminist propaganda. Yeah, feminist. Yeah. It's the most baseline feminist <laughs> message you could possibly get. So you're not going to like 
break new ground with this thing. Okay, because I've seen a Funnily lot of... Funnily enough, like, this movie was banned in Vietnam because of, uh, like, a the map that they show. Oh, yeah, in Taiwan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And in Taiwan. Yeah. Yeah, which was really weird. <laughs> it's just, like, a map <laughs> in the background. That is not accurate at all. Yeah, I forget what, what it was. It was something to do with a border dispute. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was funny. Like, why that? <laughs> Believe, actually, don't ask me how. I don't know. But I think I know the reasons are both. For Taiwan, I don't think Taiwan's on the map at all. And then for Vietnam, it shows, you know how China and Vietnam and literally everyone in Southeast Asia, like China says, all of your water is now mine in the ocean there. Yeah, the yeah. It for some reason showed that all that water like belonged to China, with like those like dotted. Well, the map doesn't even have countries labeled. It's just continents. <laughs> and it's just like a giant blob. So I don't know why that became a thing. But do you think that whatever. maybe people in Vietnam have... don't need a Barbie movie? Well, like... that's true. Did like uh, do you think that it did have countries and stuff, and then it got blocked, and then they re-edited maybe. it? I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to see when I I'll see what it's you're just like talking about. a stupid about. bit of trivia where it's like, oh, weird. Yeah, that's the thing. Even though it's like literally does not matter at all. <laughs> but yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll talk about it next yeah, week. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it next week. We'll talk about. I'll probably also see Oppenheimer this weekend, so we'll talk about that. Yeah, my my girlfriend's like, "Are you gonna see Oppenheimer?" And I'm like, "I'm not gonna drag you to it, and I'm probably not gonna see it." She's like, "I'm gonna see it by myself." <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Okay. Okay, you can do that. I, yeah, I think we'll probably watch you, this weekend. Now you legally have to go. No, I'm not. I'm not going to. Yes. I I I think I'm I've just decided I'm done with Christopher Nolan. I think it's going to take something <laughs> like spectacular to get me back. I think I just hate him. I think that's what I've come <laughs> down to. Uh I just hate his entire ad- attitude on the industry. Um, where it's like, you can only, you've only seen my movies if you've seen it in theaters or if you, or if you buy it on Blu-ray, that's the only way to experience my movies. I'm not seeing it in IMAX. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to my Marcus, Greg Marcus theater. Yeah. Well, you gotta just go see Greg Marcus. I've not seen him in so long. I miss him. We saw Barbie at like 8 PM on Sunday and it was a packed theater still. So (laughs) yeah, I saw, um, it, the box office it had on Monday is the highest mo- Monday box office ever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. God. It's um, just like such a weird contradiction because I, the movie's good and I'm glad it exists, but I also hate the consequences of this movie. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be like, it. there's going to be so much garbage released by Mattel in the next like 10 years. Oh yeah. 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 I think I saw, I think we talked about this briefly when it was announced, but like, there's a magic eight ball movie. That's a horror yep. movie that's being produced by Blumhouse. <laughs> I think yep. it's like, Oh no. Like I hate that. Yeah. Uh, Blumhouse who is also doing the exorcist, uh, the new exorcist movie that is coming out. That looks bad. Are they doing the FNAF movie too. Yes. Let's go. What aren't they doing? I don't know. Um, Making good movies. <laughs> the only thing I know, oh, that's not what they're doing. Uh, if the only thing I know about the the new Exorcist movie is that the poster is sideways, uh, and that that's cool. <laughs> the uh, the trailer there's two girls that are possessed. Whoa! Um, I have no faith. Double uh, the spooky. There's double the spooky. Um, 
yeah, I, I have zero faith in this Exorcist movie, uh, which is disappointing because I think the first Exorcist movie is one of the best horror movies of all time. So it's a little bit um, disappointing that they're, well, really it's disappointing that they're digging it up in the first place when we already tried that. There's four Exorcist sequels. Um, wait. Technically? Maybe. I feel like that's just a horror staple. You need to just make like a ridiculous amount of like sequels for no reason. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I found out like semi recently that Psycho has like four sequels. Oh. Like, how are you making a sequel to Psycho? <laughs> uh, of course, uh, oh, why can't Alfred Hitchcock is not involved at all in any of them. Um, and I've actually heard that some of them are pretty decent. Um, but yeah, it's very weird. Uh, but the thing with Exorcist is that I don't think there is like the first movie more or less went off without a hitch. Um, but then every movie afterwards had had serious like reshoots and re-edits to, to before it was awesome. released to the point where I think the fourth one and why I said there's technically four sequels because they released the fourth Exorcist movie and it was so bad that they pulled it, re-edited it, they brought in a new director and reshot 90% of it, then released that cut into theaters, and then pulled that because it was worse than the first one, and then they re-released the, <laughs> the first one. Um, so technically there's <laughs> two uh, of that movie, even though it's the same movie, it's just been reshot. So technically there's four Exorcist sequels. So, nice. Yeah. The second Exorcist has James Earl Jones in it. He plays like cool. an, a black ma- magic guy, a demon worshiper from Africa. It's kind of racist, but that movie's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I'm not going to see The Exorcist, the new one. So, um, unfortunate. Yeah, maybe if the whole thing was in portrait mode where the whole movie was mm. sideways. That'd be fun. Cause that's the best part about the poster is that it's sideways. Um, I, I don't know why that's so funny to me that the, the poster <laughs> is sideways. I've just seen so many posts of people just posting the original exorcist poster, but posting it sideways. is like, this is way <laughs> scarier. <laughs> Yo, they should have done this with the first time. <laughs> Yo, I'm frightened now. <laughs> I thought this was a movie for babies and now I'm scared. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, that's it. That's it for me. We'll move over to the music part uh, yeah, yeah, where we have stuff to talk about. Yeah, I'm going to have to do the same thing you just did, except I'm not reviewing most of these things. These are just all things that will be coming out. Oh, okay, perfect. <laughs> this Friday is going to be the biggest release day of the year, I think. Oh, finally. By far. Um, yeah. Uh, I got, I'm, like, trailing back two weeks ago to see where to start. <laughs> Um, the day after the last podcast, the, uh, the JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown released the Scaring the Hose DLC pack. I saw that. I don't know what yes. that is. Um, it's just, it's not really a deluxe. I think it's just like a little EP with, uh, some more songs. Oh, so, okay. um, they're pretty decent. There's not anything that like is better than the original album. Yeah. Um, I think Hermanos gets kind of close, but the rest, I mean, they're, they're decent. I, I, like, I like that they're just having fun and releasing stuff. Um, yeah. That's all I can really uh, really ask for. 
um, and the song titles are great. Uh, the last song is just no, 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 <laughs> uh, like 37 times. Which um, is good. Yeah, and the, the first second you hear on the EP is uh, the SpongeBob sample um, where he's like, I'm ready, I'm ready. Oh, no, you wait. And then the song just starts. <laughs> I'm like, yep, this is uh, definitely what I thought I was like going to happen. Um, so pretty decent. I think Hermanos is definitely the best song here. Um, the rest I don't go back to a whole lot, um, but still pretty quality stuff from those two. I would like to see like a whole nother record from them because this is obviously like stuff that didn't make the cut from the first um, batch, but yeah. Very good. I like this kind of uh, low-key, just kind of, here's music kind of thing that they're doing. I'm glad that they're having fun mm -hmm. um, in their little lane. Um, after that, we're going to jump ahead like two weeks. Uh, so Fatboy Sharif and Steel Tip Dove released an album. Um, I think this is their first, or at least Fatboy Sharif's first on Backwoods, uh, which is Billy Wood's label. Um, I've heard a little bit of him from Features. Um, but never like a full solo song. Um, so this album's Decay. Uh, it is very different. Um, this is definitely like artsy experimental hip hop, um, which I enjoy. Uh, I think it's a good record, but I don't know how often I would ever listen to this. His voice for me is something that's a little like hard to get used to. Um, it's kind of crazy because he sounds like uh, like a DJ screw chopped and screwed voice, like when you slow down the track um, mm -hmm. or for Zoomers, uh, slowed and reverbed, um, <laughs> which isn't actually that. <laughs> uh, just for reference. Uh, so it sounds like he's like pitched down and really slow. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really hard to understand him because of that, because I don't know if it's just my hearing, but like that really low register, I can't make out words. Mm -hmm. um, so he's kind of just like crooning and doing some really cool flows over these like really ominous off-putting instrumentals. Um, so the vibe of the album is pretty great. I just wish I could hear what he's saying because I know that there's some really cool lyricism going on in here. Um, but I don't want to pull up genius while I listen to the album so I can hear what they're saying. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty good. Uh, Still Tip Dove's production is great. Um, I've definitely become more of a fan of him as he's been releasing more stuff with Backwoods. Um, but yeah, so it's pretty good. Um, I don't know how much I'm going to go back to it. It's definitely the most unique hip hop album I've heard in a while. Um, but there's definitely some standout songs. So that might grow on me eventually. Um, but as of now, it's like, you know, this is really cool, but it's not for me because like I can't understand <laughs> the lyrics. And after like, you know, 30 minutes of like the super like low voice um, with like very, the, un the enunciation doesn't come through very well. It just feels like you're listening to a drone almost. It's mm. weird. Um, but still very good. The beats are awesome. The flow of it's really nice too. Um, so solid stuff from them. Uh, Slow Dive has another single out, Skin in the Game, as their second single from the new album coming out in September, I think. Um, this one's fantastic. Both the singles have been amazing. Um, it's kind of crazy how they've held up this quality since like 91. Um, I'd still want to listen to their self-title from 2017, but, um, I don't know. It might be fun to do a reaction to this one. Um, the new one. Yeah. Just because like, I feel like you'd enjoy it. It's very like, you can tell that it's modern indie pop, uh, indie rock, but it does have that slow dive twist, um, still to it. And it, it, the songs just really are fantastic. Um, so that might be a good one to do. Sure. Um, 
those were the things I listened to. I also listened to the new Blur album, uh, The Ballad of Darren. Um, pretty solid. I, I didn't know how Blur was going to sound because, uh, again, I don't know what's up with, like, 90s bands and releasing new stuff this year. <laughs> um, but this is their first album in eight years. Um, oh. Pretty good. It definitely plays more into Britpop. Um, 13 was, like, 13's amazing. It's it's a lot more experimental, art rocky, trip hoppy. This one is a lot more standard indie rock, Britpop. Um the vocals definitely sound like it is a, you know, 50 some year old man with a heavy British accent. <laughs> um, so some people might be turned off by that. I think it works well, uh, but production's great. Um, flow of the album is really good. It does take a little bit to get into the first two or three songs take me a little bit to kind of get into it. Um, but by the time it hits Russian strings at track four, it's, it's pretty great. Um, so it, it's been really nice to have on in the background. Um, I do want to give a little bit more attention to it at a later date but um yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty good um it's always weird with these bands that have been around for a while because like there's so many things that could be a dud or could be a hit so Mm. uh but looking at their discography they seem like they've gotten a pretty solid review track record across their career so um yeah i think this is definitely better than the uh (laughs) the gorillas album that came out this year people are definitely going towards blur more than gorillas out of that which is kind of surprising honestly yeah um but pretty good um and then nas released uh surprise released a magic two um this this past week um i have not listened to it yet uh i have this weird thing with nas recently where it's like i respect and really like his last four albums he's been on a really good streak but the issue is, like, once I listen to it once, I barely go back to it again. He runs into this thing with me that, like, new Jay-Z does mm-hmm. for me, where it's, like, it's dad rap. Yeah. Like, this man is, like, two generations above me. I can't really relate to it anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, Illmatic, and st- it was written, like, I can obviously, like, still get with because those albums are kind of timeless. Yeah. Um, especially Illmatic. Um, but, like... King's Disease onwards, it's like, it is dad rap. It is like, I have beat the game and this is like my, you know, DLC run and here's all the learnings I've gotten from it. It's just like mm-hmm. not stuff that I want to really listen to. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I'm not in that point in life where it's like, this is the vibe I want to go for. Um, but with that being said, Hip Boy has been doing fantastic with them and they're all, they've all been really quality projects. And I think this one's no different based on what I've been hearing. Um, but I'm not going to go out and listen to him out of my way. I might listen to it eventually just to see what's going on. Um, but, yeah, it, there's just a lyrical disconnect. Um, sure. But, I mean, the pen ability is still fantastic. It's kind of rare for someone, like, again, from the 90s coming back and not doing just one album run, like five album runs of really, really, really quality stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is pretty magical, pun yeah. intended. Um, ha, ha. Uh-huh. So those are all the things I listened to, um, I believe. There might have been some things that were missing, but it's been a couple of weeks. Um, but things that are coming out, there is a lot coming out. Um, a lot happened. <laughs> oh. Um, so I don't know where I want to start here. Um, we'll start with No Name. No Name's releasing a new album, hopefully... If she gets off of social media before she gets angry and cancels it, um, 
So fingers crossed, she's releasing a new album, uh, Sundial. Apparently, it's supposed to come out on August 11th. Very, very, very excited for this. No Name is amazing. Um, Room 25 and Telephone are both really, really great albums. Um, definitely plays more into that jazz rap, but I mean, lyricism is fantastic. Um, she's kind of had this thing where she's been uh, not really making music. She gets really angry with her fan base regularly, <laughs> which is understandable. Um, I get it, but she just like cannot <laughs> like just be chill for a day. Um, <laughs> but I mean, amazing music. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like I'm looking at the the page for it, and like the first thing in the news thing is like No Name threatens to scrap album release after backlash to J Electronica <laughs> feature. It, it, she, yeah, oh, um, yeah. But I'm very excited for this. Uh, there's some fantastic features on this thing. Uh, you got Aaron Allen Kane, which is been kind of she's been popping up um on more rappers albums which is really nice uh j electronica and there's a billy wood song on here um <laughs> which is gonna be amazing that's not a that's not something that i would have thought of but like that's fantastic i'm glad those two know of each other um this should give billy wood some more push since no name is pretty popular in the rap scene um we also have common on there uh oh. yeah so definitely looking forward to this i think it'll be really really good um but that's in August. Uh, Travi Patty is releasing Utopia oh, yeah. this Friday, I believe. Um, oh. Yes. I saw you had the week kind of rumored. Song. Yeah. Uh, people were saying that's kind of mid. Um, I have not listened to it. I have not either. <laughs> I don't know. The weekend's been giving me weird vibes for a while. Yeah. I, since I, this I, whole TV show. Yeah. It's weird. I don't, he's doing the whole MF Dome thing. Yeah. Like, what I don't know is what's that? going on. I don't know. Um, we'll see what he does next, but yeah. I'll probably give Utopia a lesson. Um, I mean, Astroworld's pretty great. Um, so I'm sure they'll have some quality stuff here. I don't like Travis Scott as a person, but I'm still going to listen to the music because, you know, he, he does know how to make the music. Um, so we'll see how that is. Uh, apparently he's releasing a film alongside it. Um, Perfect. have no <laughs> idea what it's about or anything, but apparently that's a thing people do now. Um, so that'll be coming out this Friday. Um, Carly Rae Jepsen. <laughs> <laughs> Carly Rae Jepsen uh, releasing another album uh, this Friday as well, The Loveliest Time, which I'm guessing is a sequel to The Loneliest mm, Time. Yeah. Um, I think it's like a B-side but not B-side record, if that makes sense. Like a um, no thank you? Yes. Yeah. It's like, I feel like Emotion... Mm, I guess she hasn't. Yeah, she's did dedicated and then dedicated side B, but they were both like good. Um, so this might be pretty good. Uh, I did like the loneliest time quite a bit. I don't mm-hmm. go back to it too much just because it is like a very specific vibe. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I got sick of Jack Antonoff for a while because he just was on everything, and I started to get bored of his style because it's very apparent, apparent when he yeah. does production. This is um, true. But I mean, still pretty good. So I'll give that a listen. Um, Mitski back. Oh. Uh, new album is The Land is Inhospitable, and so are we. <laughs> Fun. So that's definitely a Mitski album title. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know when it's coming out. I saw one thing say it's coming out this Friday, but I kind of doubt that since we don't have a cover or anything, unless she just kind of like surprise drops it. Maybe. Um, I think it's also rumored that Ethel Kane's going to be on it. So. Oh. If you couldn't make a Mitski record more sad, they're going to do it. There we um, go. So that's coming out relatively soon, I believe. Um, next, we got a 
quote unquote new group. They're not really new. Um, injury reserve is no longer going by injury reserve after the death of one of their members. Mm-hmm. Um, so their last album is officially, uh, by the time I left or by the time I get to Phoenix, which is a absolute masterpiece. Um, but they are going by a new name now by storm, which is the last song on the last album they made. So it's just going to be the duo. Now, um, they have a single coming out this Friday, I believe. Um, so very excited to see what they do with that. I do hope they lean into the style of the last album because that is something completely unique. Um, this kind of post rap I'm calling it. Um, so very excited to see what they do. Um, I'm glad they're still making music together as a duo. At least it's a very rough situation, but I'm glad they're still together making music because like they had an absolute gem with their, their last two records. Um, so definitely excited for that. Uh, we'll see what's that's all about. Um, Spelling is also coming back. Uh, Spelling had a really, really, really fantastic art pop album in, I believe, 2020. Um, 2021, The Turning Wheel. Uh, Love this record. Definitely, like, this was my Kate Bush before I actually listened to Kate Bush and realized how similar they kind of were. Um, She's just as, like, erratic and, like, crazy and off the wall in a really fantastic way. Um, So... She has a new one coming out, Spelling in the Mystery School, which is a really cool name for a backing band. So I'm hoping this is like live instrumentation. Um, so very excited for that. That comes out end of August. Um, so I'll be looking out for that one. Uh, Post Melon, self-titled album, comes out this Friday. That is true. Don't know if I'm going to listen to it. Um, I don't know either. Maybe. I will see the reviews first and make an informed decision if I want to do that to myself or not. Yeah, um, I don't know. It sounds like I it's going like, to be another pop record, though. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah I, don't I think he released a couple singles, um, but I don't know how many more pop records that, like, are... Because, I mean, they always sound pretty decent on first listen, but, like, I just have no interest in ever going back to any of them. So. Yeah. Yeah. I remember... We'll see. It, I listened to uh, Chemical... I thought that one was pretty good. And then I don't even think I got through the entire morning, which is uh, the second single he did, and it's two and a half minutes long. Mm. And, and I, he also released... Uh, another one. Uh, Overdrive, I think, yeah. yeah. There's 17 tracks on here, too, man. Oh, boy. I hope it's not like a Drake album where it's like an hour and 20. I don't think so. All these songs... Overdrive and Morning are both 227. Oh, yeah, we're good then. Yeah. <laughs> Probably like 43 minutes. Yeah, but that's still yeah. too much. That's yeah, too much. we'll see. Yeah. But that'll be one that, like, if people talk about it positively, I might check out, but I'm not really planning on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Apex Twin is also releasing an EP uh, this Friday, so that'll be interesting. Um, I'm not even going to try to say what it is you can it's apex twin there's n- nothing's ever simple about it um but it looks like there's four songs on it so might be pretty decent might give that a listen eventually um and the, the big announcement for this week for me at least was the new arm and hammer album uh coming out september 29th they don't sleep i don't understand um billy woods has like the best track record in hip hop, like of modern, <laughs> of modern, like rappers. He has like the best trajectory and he just doesn't stop making music. And now there's another arm and hammer one coming. Um, the album title is even more strange. It's we buy diabetic test strips. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> is that a Philip K. Dick title? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like it, <laughs> um, but features, I mean, we got a lot of pink Sifu. Uh, we got soul glow members on here. 
um, Curly Castro, more mother, uh, the usual cast. So very, very excited for this. Song titles are crazy. Second second track is called Woke Up and Ask Siri How I'm Gonna Die. And then the <laughs> track right after that is The Flexible Unreliability of Time and Memory. Um, it's gonna be, yeah. So very excited for that. Uh, we already had a, like a near-perfect Billy Woods album this year, so... I mean, I've kind of hit my quota already, but I'll take more. Um, so very excited for that. Uh, I'm hoping they do a single for that eventually, um, just to give an idea of where they're headed. Um, but, yeah, I think that's everything. That was a lot of things. Um, most of them things I haven't listened to yet because all of them are coming out this Friday. Uh, so big old release day. I don't think I'm going to get to everything for next pod but I will try. Um, <laughs> yeah. The Barbie album also came out, I guess, but that's... <laughs> I gotta listen to the they Ice used... Spice and Nicki Minaj song. <laughs> they used a lot of the soundtrack songs in the movie, too. Like, too many. Too many? There were too many music montages, but we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> next week. We'll get there. It's like the whole first half of the movie was, like, dialogue for five minutes, play a song, and then more. <laughs> it's oh. just weird. Um, yeah. There's also a new album out by Agriculture, self-titled. Um, this is on the Flenser, so Chat Piles label, um, which is apparently a black gaze and black metal album. So I might listen to that for next week, too. I've been meaning to check that one out. So. Is that like RuPaul or something? Yeah. <laughs> something like that. Okay. <laughs> black gaze is like the weirdest, weirdest genre name. Yeah. It's just black metal shoegaze. <laughs> I should just oh, call it that. Black gaze. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I never heard that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not like the most uh out there genre usually. Yeah. Um Did I talk about the new Drake album? Uh, no. There's a new there's Drake, a new Drake album? album coming. Uh yeah, there's a new Drake album coming. It's called For All the Dogs. Awesome. That's all I'm gonna say about that. For all the I dogs. I think he was like I think there's a picture of him where he was like leaving a hotel and he was wearing like a Doberman mask. I was like, this is weird. Why are you wearing dog masks? I hate Drake. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're, like, two masks removed from, like, that weird, like, fetish dog mask. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it, is it spelled D-A-W-G-S? No. Just oh. dogs, like, oh. regular, which is even weirder, honestly. Yeah, I was, I was like, oh, no, he's spelling it D-A-W-G-S, and now I'm just confused. Yeah. Maybe he's partnering with, like. <laughs> You know, Pet Smart or something. Who knows? PETA. PETA. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yo, stop killing animals. Did you know that 90% of the and animals that walk through the Push a T comes in with a disc. It was like PETA kills 90% of animals <laughs> that walk through their door. <laughs> That'd be sick. That would be pretty sick. Uh, that is it for music. Um, yeah. Other segment this week, I figured we were going to have a lot of things to talk about, so I did not do an extensive uh, thing at all. I will do that next week, most likely. Um, to parallel but this week, succession. I wanted to... Yes. <laughs> we probably could, honestly. Um, <laughs> next week's going to be a big one, too, I think. Yeah. Um, but boy. This week, I wanted to talk on... It's old news at this point, but we'll bring it up on the podcast. Um, the SAG-AFTRA uh, strike. Um, oh, it's still going on. Brian Cranston just gave a speech. 
awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, the SAG-AFTRA uh, union has um, decided to strike, and this is kind of pairing up with the uh, Writers Guild um, yeah. from yeah. earlier that we talked about. Um, so uh, basically, they're um, kind of, it's almost the same uh, things that they want with the, yeah. with the Writers Guild. There's a lot of overlap here. Um, but there is a key thing where SAG-AFTRA is mostly actors, so now you have actors and writers on strike, which yes. is fantastic. That gives even more leverage to those two. Um, but the main thing they were kind of asking for was obviously money, so they want uh, to provide better compensation and benefits for its members. Um, residuals, so yes. current residual payments don't reflect the value of member contributions. Um, the union said they undercut by inflation and by a streaming ecosystem. Uh, which producers pay less residual income than traditional exhibition models. This is essentially similar to like how an artist gets paid through Spotify. It's like mere pennies almost. Yeah. Um, there have been multiple actors that have came out and said like they have a whole Netflix series that like gets millions of views and they really they receive like a thirty dollar check of residuals. Um, which yeah. Is insane. Well, and you don't. That. They don't have to publicly release how they're performing. It isn't like cable right. where they have to release nope. what they're. Uh, how many people are viewing it. Like Netflix mm -hmm. can just say, this is the highest streamed thing every time they release something. Yep. And, you know, no one can check it. Yes. Yep. Um, another big one here that is kind of in the writer's one, but not as prominent is generative AI. Mm -hmm. um, so oh, the yeah. union's requesting that uh, they provide protections for members against the misuse of AI. Um, and a definition of accessible use of the technology or acceptable use. Um, this is a big thing that's happening everywhere right now. Um, I am a marketer, so we are going through this currently. There is no guidelines or parameters around most of this stuff. People just have to like take the risk of using it if they're going to use it or just not use it. It's very weird. Um, all industries are going to take advantage of this, and it's going to be really bad. But mm -hmm. specifically for actors, this is going to be really bad because what these um, studios want to do is they want to kind of take background actors mm -hmm. um, and give them a one-time payment and have them accept the uh, kind of credibilities that they're like, all right, um, <laughs> you get this money up front. We're going to put you in an AI as a background character, and we can use your likeness anywhere and everywhere without your permission and without giving you any money. Yes. Um, which is obviously horrible. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so they're going to try to get um, parameters around mix misuse and get, like, a definition of accessible use because there there are uses um, where generative AI will be helpful, um, mm -hmm. but oftentimes, like, I, I mean, we're going through this, obviously, in my line of work, there's a lot of nuance to it because um, like we've I've been in meetings with like the head of like Shutterstock's AI um, and we'll, you see how these corporations kind of like talk about their product and they're like a lot of people use generative AI images to like just make up people and I'm like why would you make up people when they're stock imagery for cheaper um, <laughs> true so there's a lot of things around like Shutterstock does a cool thing where it's like they use all of their stock photography and all of their people get like royalties from it. Mm. Um, so I'm guessing that studios will eventually adopt a similar model once that happens. Um, yeah. But it'll be interesting to see how it's used because I mean, obviously we know that uh, these are for-profit companies. The mm. art is not going to be the first thing. So nope. if they can get a cheap buck by using fake mm. people in the backgrounds everywhere, they're obviously going to do it. Yes. Um, 
So that's a big point of contention. Um, I think a lot of the social media buzz about AI is like overblown, um, but stuff stuff like this is absolutely uh, critical to do right now. Yes, um, yes. And I hope this carries over into other industries because yeah, it's a it's a headache and a half. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, another one is self-tapes um, without regulations regarding self-tape auditions. Um, SAG alleges that uh, performers currently face an unfairly arduous casting process. Um, they say the shift to burdensome and unreasonably demanding self-taped auditions mean that our members are working harder than ever forced to take on audition costs that have been uh, the responsibility of casting a production. Um, this leads on to uh, where everything is kind of getting outsourced now um, because it costs costs for companies. Um, so they're trying to like hone in a little bit more on that as well. Um, so a couple like guidelines, just if people are not familiar with how these things kind of function and work. Um, so every SAG after member must strike. Um, all the members are required to stop working for struck companies and begin picketing. Um, during a writer's strike, productions with finished strips, uh, scripts can continue. Um, like if you had a script written during the before the writer's strike was done. I mean, you can technically continue production on that, but with an actor's strike, um, that forces all scripted union shoots to shut down, mm. um, which stops virtually everything, yeah. um, which is fantastic. It, the, the cool thing about having these two unions that are like incredibly powerful is you literally can put it in a, like a roaring halt to entire productions um, mm -hmm. just like that it's kind of the same thing with the ups thing that was going on if there was a ups strike you would lose so much money mm -hmm. that the these uh these, the company would have to give in um uh but yeah um non-members can strike um a strike also impacts actors who haven't gotten their union card yet maybe they're like still applying to it or whatever um, SAG members won't be working, um, and producers and production companies will likely try to hire performers who aren't in the union. Yeah. Um, but if you're in the situation, it's very important to kind of consider the implica implications of this. Um, so you can land a gig with a major, major studio during this time. Um, but non-union actors that do cross a picket line, uh, you will probably not get in a union. Um, which means your pay will be awful. You probably won't get health insurance. You won't have a lot of protections. Um, so it is obviously majorly discouraged. Crossing a picket line is always not good at all. Um, but especially if you are trying to get into the industry and like you see this as a gateway to like get uh, you know a spot that you normally wouldn't get, mm -hmm. uh, this is not the time to do that. You will ruin your career before it even starts. Yeah. Um, and especially because like SAG will in their process, ask if you've ever worked on a production, uh, like during a strike or mm -hmm. for a strike company or a struck company while you were working for it. Um, so another interesting thing of this is like, this is really, it's cool to see because it's not something you often see in media. Um, so, I mean, media and CEOs will kind of try to spin, this and say that demands aren't reasonable, mm -hmm. um, particularly because a lot of big name celebrities are part of SAG-AFTRA. Right. So you have a lot of actors that are like gigantic. Um, and they're like, oh, why are they asking for more money? They're so rich. Yeah. Um, but it's important to note that around like 85% of union members for SAG-AFTRA make less than 26K a year. Um, yeah. And there is a threshold of you need to make at least 26K a year to apply uh, or be applicable for health insurance. So a lot of these people don't have health insurance either. Right. Um, 
So this is not just like stuck up Hollywood actors not getting like an extra three million for their things. This is everyday <laughs> people. Um, there's a lot of just like middle class folks that that work in Hollywood. It's not just like everybody's this huge loaded individual. There's right. so many parts and pieces that go into all these productions um, that it's kind of like redundant to like stop yourself at like oh. Ryan Gosling wants more money. <laughs> that's that's not reasonable. Um, well, not quite. Yeah. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> no, no, no. And I, yeah, it seems like the the main kind of thing here is for those background actors. Um, Absolutely. Uh, you know, people who get like one line in a sitcom and yep. like, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's pretty tough. And I have been seeing a bunch of. It's been cool to see like a bunch of big name actors come in, come in and try to support mm-hmm. these these you know people trying to get into the industry. Like I saw um, Jessica Chastain uh, posted something about it. Giancarlo Esposito, uh, Brian Cranston today. I know I know we just I said about it, but uh, he just made a whole speech just railing on Bob Iger. So. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really cool to see. Um, yeah. Especially since there's been, like, just a major, like, labor, I want to say militancy, but at least solidarity um, since the pandemic, um, yeah. which makes a lot of sense. People are getting more poor. They're, the blatant kind of indu- injustices and inequality is just brought to the surface more than it ever has been. Um, but uh, these strikes will win. It's like inevitable. It will happen. Um, yes. Studios are already bleeding every day that production is stopped is going to like give a super like loss of profit in the <laughs> long run because these things don't only stop productions by the day, but like the more you halt it, the more it's going to be delayed. Um, if you have a running show on cable television, um, that spot's going to get delayed. You're going to lose money on that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's funny because... <laughs> One, one of the CEOs messed up. I don't know who it was, um, but they were doing an interview with some publication, um, and they said that their plan was to drive, like, these strikers to homelessness um, <laughs> and make them lose their houses and apartments, uh, which was... You're not supposed to say that loud part. No, um, no. The quiet part out loud. Um, the, <laughs> the, the caused, like, a massive surge in donations to the strike funds. Um, but, yeah, yeah these, these people are bloodthirsty, like... I mean, Bob Iger, all of these people, like they are not good people. They do not care about any of these actors. Um, And their strategy is to bleed them dry, but it's not going to work because eventually as these productions stay down, um, all that missed time is going to bleed into future quarters. Um, And once you do that, that's when the stockholders get nervous. Um, And this entire thing runs on stockholders and uh, investors and all of this stuff. And if they're angry, then you know, it's all going to come down. Um, yeah. So they will win. Um, it will be a thing. I don't know how long it's going to last. Um, could be days, weeks, months, who knows, but it, they, they will get, um, they will get what they're asking for. Uh, yeah. Because it's too much of a gigantic business <laughs> and there's too many, uh, key actors here and key players in all, uh, realms that yes. like it will not, <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you see, like, Netflix and all these, like, streaming services put out, like, really garbage shows. Yeah. But that's going to come to everything, and people are eventually going to notice that, too. Um, yes. So. Yes. Yeah. Um, and just a note, I don't think I need to say this, but the sliminess of this industry um, is not unique. This is just how capitalism works. <laughs> 
any way to maximize profits and take away rights from workers, uh, de-unionize everything, any, any way to cut costs and increase the profit will be taken no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, so with UPS, they have a deal that hopefully um, is adequate for the Teamsters. Um, if not, that might be a strike happening as well, and then we'll really see what the power of a strike can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's cool to see all these labor movements kind of coming up. Um, this has been the most activity we've had in a long time, so it's very cool to see. Um, at least here, yeah. At least here, yeah. Um, but it's it's cool to see because, I mean, I, I, <laughs> it's weird the mentality I have is, like, we are, like, in the end stage of this country. Um, so I'm Hopefully, just, like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I feel like things are just, like, the contradictions are becoming too too big. I feel like something's going to snap eventually. So it's nice to see labor action being taken. Um mm-hmm because it's, it's been dead for a while so um yeah 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 i don't but, know I, and to go back to like have you seen the exact number how many how much these studios are losing per day oh yeah it's crazy it's uh 44 know, million down, but yeah <laughs> yeah yeah uh that's a lot especially yes. to shareholders so yeah yeah i so. don't i don't think uh i don't think now that the sag is involved i don't see it lasting oh yeah I don't think it'll be. I don't think it'll make it to the end of the year. I think there will be some kind of yeah. deal made. Um, but yeah, I don't know how much I'll talk yeah. about it in the future weeks unless a big development happens. But mm-hmm. um, people like Adam Conover uh, are great resources. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. To provide constant updates because he's been doing fantastic content um, and just informing everybody um, as these things have been going on. So mm-hmm. very cool to see. Um, just wanted to touch on that this week. So. Um, yeah, next week uh, I'll try to do advertising. Um, I might break it into little sections just so it's not like very broad. Um, but we'll also have succession to talk about, which a lot of my stuff will probably leak over into that. Um, that might be kind of fun as a media analysis. Um, honestly, the Oppenheimer discussion might lead to that too. So we'll see how I'm True. feeling, how much stuff I have to say about each thing. But it could be kind of nice to take a break and like uh, apply some analysis to media especially something like Succession where it's like so inter- interwoven where it's like, ooh, I could talk about this, this, and this. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could even talk about Barbie for a while. Not like it's any revolutionary concept, but there are things in it that sure. I enjoyed. Um, but we will see. And I'll have a whole bunch of music to talk about, so it's, next week's going to be another big one. Next week's going to be big, but it'll be yeah. good. Uh, it'll be a good one. Yeah, especially the Succession discussion I think is going to be very good. Yes, sir. I've been uh, very impressed. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe one of the best shows ever. I would say so. It's kind of crazy. Uh, I don't know if you watched the uh, little, like little end thing is that HBO does. Yeah, I was shows. watching a couple of those. The one at the very end was kind of interesting. Where there mm-hmm. was it was the discussion of when they wanted to stop. Where it's like, is this the right time? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't I don't see them, you know. I'd have to like rewatch the series because I feel like there was such a big gap between 3 and 4 that I, it took me the first two episodes to like get back. figure out what was happening again. All the names. Yeah, it's Yeah. HBO does that thing where there is no um there's no like <laughs> good buffer. recap or anything. They just yeah. throw you in. And they expect you to remember all the names and what was yeah. happening three years ago because it takes so long for them to pump out stuff of this quality. Mm-hmm. 
Um, which, you know, it won't be a problem for The Last of Us, but it, it will be a problem for Succession. Yes. There's um, so much that happens in that show. Yeah. That's so packed. Like, I didn't even remember, like... Like, I remembered that Tom did something at the end of season three, but yeah, I don't I remember that about details. That until like the third or fourth episode. Yeah. Something. But, yeah. Well, we'll talk about that next week. It'll probably be a lengthy discussion. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, yeah, we'll talk about that in Barbie. I know, yeah. I know I'm going to watch that movie. I don't know what else. I'm gonna do. I I might just kind of take it easy, mm-hmm. kind of we'll cover you with open timer. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm just. I'm done. I'm done. Sorry, Chris. Sorry. Uh, but I didn't like Dunkirk, and I don't care about Tenet, and I don't know. I I I just. I'm done. I'm done. I don't have a lot of Nolan experience, so I'll see how this one goes. Well, the thing is that I like most of his movies that I've seen. Yeah. Um, like the Dark Knight trilogy is fantastic. Memento is great. Prestige is pretty good. Uh, Interstellar is pretty genang epic. Um, of course. But, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, It's just like, I just, I don't care. I don't, I just, <laughs> I just don't care. <laughs> It's like, oh, Christopher Nolan is releasing a new movie. It's like, oh, it's probably good. It's probably good. I just, I don't want to see it. So, yeah. It's something we want to do. We're buying into the stupid marketing campaign of like, you have to see both movies. It's so weird. It's like. I'll talk about that next next week too because it's a weird phenomenon. Yeah. And it's one of those things that it's like, I'm pretty sure it's like almost entirely grassroots. We're like, I don't, why would I a studio think to pair that? Got, yeah. Cause <laughs> it's, it's not even a double feature that people are calling it. Cause the double feature is like of the same type of movie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's why I'm like, don't see Oppenheimer and Barbie on the same day. You're not going to have a good time. No, no. And most of those double features are playing Oppenheimer first, which is not, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> from, from what I hear about it is that it is yeah, incredibly wanna... depressing. Yeah. Um, and I mean, obviously about the nuclear bomb and the horrors that, that follow, I, like a mm. lot of like legal stuff that, that happens because of it. And, um, yeah, like you don't want to go into that and then go into sugar pop Barbie. Right. Um, so yeah, that, that's a little bit of a yeah. mistake. We'll have a lot to talk about cause I, I have a lot of aspects to talk about with both of them. So well, perfect. Yeah. That, <laughs> we'll that'll be good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'll keep it pretty chill for, for what I got. I'm, I might just go back and rewatch some movies with commentary cause I've kind of been wanting to do that. So why not? Eh, you know, take a break. Exactly. You know? So it's probably what I'm going to do. Probably not going to have anything to say about that, but I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, next week's looking pretty good. Uh, Boy Time Podcast is back, baby. Uh, so exciting stuff. But yeah. Bye.